You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, March 9th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Cake Thunderbirds are the winners of the Region 5 1A Boys Basketball Tournament held last weekend at Mount Edgecombe High School. The Thunderbirds defeated the Cloak Chieftains in the tournament final last Friday evening. The Chieftains then dropped into the consolation bracket and defeated the Skagway Panthers to claim second place and a berth at the state tournament. On the girls' side, the Cloak Lady Chieftains took the regional crown, defeating the Angoon Lady Eagles in the Friday evening championship. The Lady Eagles then lost to the Cake Lady Thunderbirds on Saturday in the consolation bracket, giving the runners-up trophy to Cake, who will now head to the state tournament. For individuals, Cheyenne Kukesh, Taryn Kukesh, and Zara Fair were all named to the girls' all-conference team, along with Marnie Crooks from Cake. Ethan Kadek and Dominic Ross from Cake, George Valley and Magnus Endicott from Yakutat, and Kyle Johnson Jr. and Julian Duncan from Angoon were all named to the boys' all-conference team. George Valley of Yakutat won the boys' free-throw contest, sinking 21 of 25 from the line. The 1A State Basketball Tournament opens March 15th to 18th in Anchorage at the Alaska Airlines Center. It's beginning to look like Sitka will have a bit more money than it needs next year, but fewer employees. When the Sitka Assembly met in a special budget meeting last week, it learned that, due to a combination of factors, it could enjoy a small surplus in the 2024 budget. But a staff shortage is reaching serious levels. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The City of Sitka's general fund budget is coming in at just over $46 million for next year. This is the pot of money that pays for everything from schools to police and fire, public works, and administration. Right now, that budget is in draft form. There are line items for everything from a sizable increase in sales tax revenue from cruise tourism to a dip in federal aid from the peak COVID years. There are still some big questions that could shake things up. National economic uncertainty whether the city can score some more cash from the recent influx of federal infrastructure funds, and whether the state government will raise the base student allocation, providing more funding for Sitka's schools. As it stands now, the budget would leave the city with a small surplus of around $18,000. But some assembly members were concerned, nevertheless, about staffing. City Finance Officer Melissa Haley said her budget planned for a 3% vacancy rate, but right now, about 13% of city staff positions are vacant. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said the vacancies worried him, and he wanted the assembly to start considering solutions. So I, I don't even know what a, a system-wide pay increase would look like. I don't even know where we're going to find the money for that. But I, it's something I really want the assembly to chew on over the next little bit. You know, what is our priority here? Is it going to be our capital projects, or is it going to be our, our staffing? Because Yes, I want the potholes fixed. Yes, I want to put some money into that. But if we don't have the guy to go out and fix the potholes, I don't care how much hot tar we have, it's not going to happen. Assemblymember Tor Christensen agreed and brainstormed a possible approach to the problem using the surplus for bonuses. And we could possibly look at something like that because um, of the very conservative estimates on revenues and things that maybe we, we look at something like if we have a surplus... More than 17000 at the end of the year, which I think is probably a pretty good li- a likelihood that we do bonuses and we make it, you know, we set up some sort of a formula for that. Not sure that that's a, the, the end all problem, but it would at least give people a line, something to look forward to. 
Kevin Mosher noted that all of the city's contracts were recently renegotiated with three-year terms. Any big changes for union members would require reopening those contracts. He said if the assembly was going to consider wage increases, he'd prefer bonuses over adjusting salaries. Once you increase a person's standard wage, it's very hard to take it back. Almost impossible. I'm okay with conversation and with going forward. I just don't want to kind of get the idea or the thought out there that we're just going to start throwing money out there or increase it substantially anytime soon. It has to be a very, it is a very complicated and it needs to be done very thoughtfully and carefully. The Assembly didn't make any decisions about bonuses, but at its last regular meeting, the Assembly approved on first reading money for a wage study for the city. Valerie Ruff is the city's human resources director. She told the Assembly that the study would look beyond cash compensation. How do we look at wages? How do we use variable compensation? How do we use incentives like our housing? Housing is a huge problem for us right now in recruiting. So how do we put all of those things together so that we can offer packages that are attractive to everyone? So when I say variable compensation, it can mean bonuses. It may mean an extra day of annual leave. There are so many things that we could do with variable compensation to offset wages. So wages isn't always what we focus on. But before that study can kick off, the assembly must approve it on a final reading. Municipal Administrator John Leach said a wage study on its fastest timeline would take at least six or seven months. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The University of Alaska Southeast has a new incoming chancellor. Aparna Palmer was appointed on Wednesday. She's currently vice president of Front Range Community College in Colorado. She was previously the assistant vice president for academic affairs at Colorado Mesa University, where she taught biology. At a public forum earlier this year, Palmer said her work as a marine biologist made her especially happy to be in Juneau. I'm really, really excited to be here between the mountains and the ocean uh, because this is the biology that excites me the most. Palmer said her priorities include student recruitment and fiscal stability, and she wants to work with local industries to connect graduates with jobs. We don't grow if the region doesn't grow. There's a really strong relationship there. Palmer was born in India and moved to the United States as a child. She said promoting equity and inclusion is personally important to her. You know, I think about how important it is to me that I have um, a language that I inherited from my family, and how sad it would be for me if I didn't have that language. Um, and because it's so, it's so particular to the way we understand the world. Palmer's first day as chancellor will be July 1st. She replaces Karen Carey, who is retiring after three years on the job. The World War II-era tugboat that sank in Juneau last December has finally been hauled away after nearly two months underwater. The wooden tug cost more than half a million dollars to recover, and the vessel is a symptom of a larger problem. As Alaska's fleet ages, harbormasters, boat owners, and the state face a costly environmental hazard. KTOO's Anna Canny has more. An 81-year-old tugboat called the Tagish met its watery end when a cold snap cracked its pipes. Its sinking ended a decades-long restoration project for Juno local Don Etheridge. I had most of the deck rebuilt. Um, I had I rebuilt the entire interior of it, and uh, it scares me to think about how much I put into it. 
The remains of the boat and the pollution it released were recovered by the Coast Guard and shipped off to a landfill in Seattle. Cleanup costs reached $650,000, a cost Etheridge could not cover up front. It's hard to restore old vessels to their former glory, but it can be even harder and more expensive to dispose of them. It costs you a small fortune to get rid of a boat. It's cheaper to pay your mortgage than it is to uh, get rid of the boat. So the Tagish floated for decades as Etheridge worked little by little to restore it. For many years, he even had it insured. And then the insurance company notified me that they weren't going to insure it no more. The age of the boat being, a, being as old as it is and being a wood boat. Just like that, a hobby project became a huge liability. In Alaska and many other coastal states, boats are aging. According to the McKinley Research Group in Anchorage, more than half the vessels in southeast Alaska are beyond the typical lifespan for boats. The Tagish is it's a symptom of a bigger problem. We're, we're in Alaska. We're remote. Boats are getting older. Um, there is not an easy, cost-effective way to dispose of vessels when they reach the end of their useful life. That's Matt Cresswell, Juno's harbor master. Old boats have caused multiple headaches in the community over the last decade. But until 2018, the state did not require ownership titles on boats, which made it nearly impossible to hold someone accountable for cleanup costs. Rachel Lord is the former executive secretary for the Alaska Association of Harbor Masters and Port Administrators. She helped pass legislation that required vessel titles and expanded the state's abandoned and derelict vessels program. But she says the law doesn't do enough to address the aging fleet. These large old boats are liabilities. They're beautiful. They were part of our history. In some cases, they're still part of our working our working fleets. And they all have a, a lifetime, a clock that is ticking. And so the question really becomes, who bears that liability? Who bears that cost? In this case, it's still Etheridge. But a bill of more than half a million dollars is a significant burden for many private boat owners. When a boat poses a pollution threat that owners can't afford to clean up, the Coast Guard may be called in to dispose of it using money from the Federal Oil Spill Liability Fund. That's what happened with the Tagish. And theoretically, you know, owners are kept accountable. But also, you know, that is not an unending pool of money that the Coast Guard is just going to be authorized to continue using ad nauseum to deal with all of our vessels. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sitka Public Library's Teen Advisory Board meets at 5 p.m. today at the library. All teens to age 16 are invited to join and help select materials for the library's collection, plan programs, gain volunteer experience, and promote the library. Snacks are provided. For more information, call Maite at 747-4022. Author Bren Smith discusses ocean farming and the fight for equality in a changing world at 7 p.m. at Harrigan Centennial Hall. Smith is the author of Eat Like a Fish, My Adventures as a Fisherman Turn Restorative Ocean Farmer. Question and answer session, book sales, and signing follow the free talk. For more information, visit uas.alaska.edu slash ocob or call 907-796-6440. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) 